for that prayer. Oh, well, good morning. Glad you guys are here today. And let me just see if we have any kiddos in here. If we have any kiddos other than Mitch that's doing uh, this particular bulletin here, uh, I would like to encourage you, uh, kiddos, that as you fill this um, bulletin out, this kids' bulletin, that, um, you know, as, it's kind of neat. You can draw pictures about something you heard in the sermon today. Just make sure it's not a picture of yours truly. All right, don't make fun of me that, whoa, don't make fun of me that much, <laughs> but I'm um, glad that phone didn't break. Hey, if you ever want to know why I keep my phone up here with me, it's not so you can text me, but it's so I can just click the button there and see what time it is. So, because uh, there's no phone, there's no clock in here. Thank you, Jesus. So I can just keep on, keep on preaching, but, um, but getting back to this, don't draw a picture of yours truly up here. Because, you know, it would not be good, I don't think. But, um, but I do want to encourage you to do this. If you are a kiddo in here, uh, mom and dad, if they're filling this out, have them give it to me with their name on it when they leave because we want to celebrate the fact that they're actually paying attention and trying to pay attention and worship. And we're going to do something really fun for them about once a quarter. So, so we'll be keeping, I'll be keeping this, all right? So um, anyway, that's just a little announcement there. I'm glad you're here. And I hope I didn't scare you when my phone fell, and I'm really glad the phone screen didn't uh, break. But um, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me over to the book of Second Chronicles. Last, uh, the past couple of weeks, the first four weeks I've been here with you, we have been in the book of, of Luke. We've been in the New Testament, and today we're just going to look at one verse over in Second Chronicles, the good, good Old Testament book there. And I know what you're probably thinking, man, we're going to get to go home early, just one verse. I'm going to be like Pharaoh. I'm not going to let God's people go. All right. You're in it for the long haul. But I do want you to open your Bibles up to 2 Chronicles chapter 13. I'm giving a message today I've entitled America's Only Hope, America's Only Hope. Um, And I know what you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be a political message. Eh, Not necessarily. But I do think there's particular things that pastors need to address from the pulpit, no matter how hard or um, sensitive they might be. And whenever there's things that are hard and sensitive, uh, know that I will always try to do it with with a lot of grace and and just a lot of sensitivity um, as well. Uh, This is an election year. We've got a big day coming up in just a couple of days. And whenever Americans go to the polls, the fear I have is that Uh, So many Americans may put their hope and their trust in a particular political candidate or they might put all of their hope in a particular political party. Uh, I think all of us that are gathered here today in the midst of this cold weather and it's going to be even colder tomorrow, right? Yeah, I like cold weather. And it's raining. I don't too much care for that and and all that stuff. but, But all of our hope is not in a particular political party or candidate, but it's in Jesus. And, and just keep that in mind, regardless of the outcome of this election this year and even in the years to come. Uh, there's a pastor I admire a lot, and his name is uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And a couple of years ago, he wrote a book about how Christians vote. And, and I just want to read a little bit of an excerpt of that as I begin today. He made this observation kind of at the very beginning uh, because what he's talking about is even when it comes to voting, the, the Bible is sufficient for every area of your life. And it's then the Bible sufficient even when it comes to, to how you vote. So, um, so this is an observation that he made. He said, if your personal life is in shambles, uh, you would come to me and you would ask me to tell you from the Bible how the Bible addresses whatever's going on in your personal life. 
Uh, and, and that's a given. Uh, people have done that through the years. I expect you to do that through the years as well, is to come to me as your pastor and say, this is what's going on in my life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. And then I'm going to take it to the Bible and say, hey, this is what the Bible says about this. Uh, Dr. Evans goes on to say, if you were to come to him and you had issues regarding your family, you would expect your pastor to listen to what's going on in the life of your family and then to take you to the Bible because the Bible is sufficient and the Bible will address whatever's going on regarding your marriage or, or raising your kids and stuff like that. Uh, we had a, a dear friend of ours tell us a couple of months ago, we were having dinner with him on a Friday night. And they said, you know, even when your kids get older and they're no longer in your house, it doesn't get any easier. And I thought, well, great day, <laughs> man. <laughs> anyway, so the Bible's sufficient even when it comes to your marriage and your family and your kid, kiddos and stuff like that, regardless of their age. And, and then if you were to come to me, if you were to come to Dr. Evans, if he was your pastor and say, hey, man, I got this issue going on in my church and it's really bothering me, you would expect your pastor and you should expect your pastor to listen to what's going on, what you're concerned about, and then to take you to Scripture and let Scripture give you an answer as to what's going on in the life of your church. But what about when your nation seems to be crumbling before your eyes? Uh, what about when you, feel like, when you feel like your nation and our country that we love uh, is just in shambles? What about an answer that we might need for the mess we're in as a nation and I don't mean an economic mess, I mean a, a moral mess that we're in and all the civil unrest that's taking place in our nation today. Well, Dr. Evans would say, if scripture is, and he did say this, and I just kind of have it down to memory, if scripture is sufficient for your family life, for your church life, for your personal life, scripture is sufficient for our national life. So we're gonna see from God's word today how the Bible is just sufficient in every area of our life. Now, before we really get into the nitty-gritty of the message today, um, just, just know this, and we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, the armies of Israel, and we'll get to this in a minute, but the armies of Israel is um, attacking the, the army of, of Judah. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the people of God, Israel, is divided. Uh, we're, we're a nation divided today. So what's going on in our country today doesn't catch God by surprise. He's been there, done that, and he even saw it in the nation of Israel. Well, let's jump into our text, and then I'll get to this particular point in just a minute. So here, you got your Bibles open? Say amen if you do. All right, thank you very much. So Second Chronicles chapter 13, and here's what the Bible says at verse 12. Behold, God is with us at our head and his priests with the battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for this message today and for an opportunity to stand before your church and to deliver this message. And Father, I pray that my, there may not be uh, nothing I will say or do to distract from what you want to accomplish in our hearts today. So Lord, I pray that as we gather today in this room and for those that are watching us online today, worshiping with us online, thank you for them, that you will help our minds to be open. And Lord, I pray that our hearts might be mighty soft to what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish for what your word wants to accomplish in our life today. So, uh, so Father, thank you for this opportunity. Speak, Lord, for your people are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. So you're probably wondering, what, what do I have on the screen here? Well, before I get into seven principles 
of Christian responsibility, Christian civic responsibility. Yeah, you heard that right, seven. Uh, I want just to start off with just mentioning a couple of things that we see here from this verse and to set the background for what's going on here way back then in the book of Second Chronicles. First of all, Judah trusted in God. And one of the things taking place here as to why this verse was written was that Judah, the southern kingdom, really did trust in the Lord. And what's interesting about this particular verse, and we see here in verse 12, behold, he is with us as our head. Those are words of a king. And this is a king that wasn't all there. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he was elected into responsibility, but he just wasn't all there morally. But yet he says this, and his name is Abijah. And and Abijah, you know, while he might have had some really good points, he wasn't really all that sold out for Jesus. Y'all know anybody like that? We all do. And and it's it's like he had a relationship with the Lord. He had a relationship with his God, but he wasn't just a very godly man at times. He really, really had some issues, and some of these issues were deep. If you were to go back to 1 Kings, which is a book that kind of runs parallel with the Chronicles here, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 13, the Bible says that his heart wasn't holding true to his Lord. You say, in what way? A lot of ways. While it was true that he worshiped God, Abijah, who said these words here that we read in our text, every now and then when the mood struck him, and mainly it was for political reasons, not only would he worship Yahweh, you know, our creator God, he would also worship idols, you know, whichever way the mood happened to, or the winds happened to be blowing. So yeah, he really did have some deep, deep issues, but not only did he have some deep issues, Abijah had a moral life that was just really messed up too. Uh, Not only was he married to one woman, he had several. I almost want to make a joke about that, but I'm not. He had several women that were his wives. He visited prostitutes, but yet through it all, he was a man that knew the Lord. And, and I sit here every now and then, and I'm thinking, how was that even possible to live the life that you lived and yet claim to be a follower of, of the God of Abraham? But he understood Abijah, who was king of the southern kingdom, that only by following God would his nation succeed. And his nation was the nation of Judah. So he says in verse 12, behold, God is with us at our head. That word head means captain or ruler or leader. So Abijah, for all of his faults, as he led the southern kingdom of Judah, he's like, hey, uh, we're, we're going to trust in, in God. We're going to trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's my God. He's your God. And we're going to trust in him. He's our captain. He's our leader. He's our ruler. But then secondly, not only do we know this about Judah, but we know this as well. Israel fought against God. So when you're thinking about your biblical map, which is in the back of your Bibles, right? Y'all ever love to go there when you were a kid? I used to love to go back there and look at that map. You got the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And the northern kingdom had their own issues as well. Look at the end of verse 12 here. Uh, the Bible says, O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot what? succeed. So who was king of the northern kingdom? Well, he he wasn't that much better than Abijah. His name was Jeroboam, but I would say this about him. He was a wicked, wicked king. Uh, He had been a servant in Solomon's administration, but not only was he a servant, he was a scoundrel, and he was just a conniving guy. Kind of sounds like a politician, don't (laughs) That's when you smile, just kind of letting the mood. This is not a feel-good, touchy sermon. This is a pretty serious sermon we're having today. 
Jeroboam had even been a part of a plot to assassinate Solomon. It didn't succeed, but he was still around. And then when Solomon finally died, um, Jeroboam becomes king of the northern tribes there of, of Israel. And because he didn't want his people to go down to Jerusalem to worship God, he would build his own temples and he established them in the areas of, of Dan and Bethel. And he put temples there for people to worship not only the Lord, but his own chosen idols. And he even rubbed the people wrong in Jerusalem this way. He's, he, not only did he not want his people, Israel, to go down to Jerusalem, he said, I want to have my own priesthood. So that's how wicked Jeroboam happened to be. And then he said, I want my people to turn against Yahweh. I want my people to turn against the great I am. And you're going to worship the God I say you need to worship. So Abijah, who's king of the southern kingdom, right? Abijah issues this warning. He said, hey, Jeroboam, it's futile for you to fight against us. It's futile for you to come against the Lord. You're not going to succeed. You know, that Hebrew word for succeed means what you would expect it to mean. It means to be successful, to prosper, if you will. And, and it's the death knell for any nation or individual to think that they can come against God and succeed, right? You hear me? I mean, it really is a death knell if somebody thinks they can come against God whether a person or, in, or a, a country and think they can succeed. So Judah, you know, was completely different from Israel. Israel fought against God. So what do you think God did? God protected Judah. And I'm just giving you an, an idea as to what's going on here as to why this particular verse was written, how it was written in the book here of Second Chronicles. God protected Judah. So even as King Abijah was giving this warning to King Jeroboam, who's, who's king over the northern tribe, right? I don't know about you, but I used to get kind of confused. So don't think I'm talking down about or to you, just trying to help you know the northern kingdom and southern kingdom, right? And who's king over, over each. So as Abijah was warning Jeroboam, the armies of Israel, while he's telling them to, hey, don't do this, the armies of Israel, the northern kingdom, are surrounding the armies of Judah. And here's what's interesting. The, nor the armies of northern Israel outnumbered the army of, or the armies rather, of, of the southern kingdom two to one. The northern kingdom had about 800,000 soldiers in their army. So what does that tell you? The southern kingdom had, what, roughly 400,000. Outnumbered two to one. But yet the southern kingdom was crying out to God. They were asking God for his help. They were facing their enemy. And with God's power, guess what happened? They won. They won. Jeroboam would lose about 500,000 of his 800,000 soldiers. We read over, and I've got this on the screen for you, Second Chronicles 13, 18. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time, and the men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. So why did God protect Judah? Was it because Judah had superior manpower? Was it because they had superior weaponry? Was it because they had a superior intellect? No, they trusted in the Lord their God. Now that reminds me of a couple of things. A, a divided nation, like I said a few minutes ago, is nothing new to God and our nation in my lifetime is as divided as ever in my lifetime. I mean, we're divided on a whole lot of different fronts and we're even divided politically. And because of this election and, and even back in 2016, Regardless of what candidate you happen to support or what party or what party platform people would support, there was 
division. You know, gone are the days, and, and I hope they come back, but gone are the days, at least in this moment, in this season where we are in the, the, the season of our country's life, if, if you will. Gone are the days where political decorum and civility can be found. And if you don't agree with me, you're against me, and, I, and therefore I have nothing to do with you. It wasn't like that years ago, at least not in my mind, and at least not in my recollection. But there's division in our country politically. Uh, and because of the political unrest going on and all this division, there can even be divisions in your family. So when you eat the turkey, you know, on Thanksgiving, don't talk politics, all right? <laughs> you might want to talk about how the Cowboys are going to lose again, but, but don't talk because they always play on, foot, on Thanksgiving Day, but don't talk, don't talk uh, of politics. But there's division in our family, in our workplace, and, and even in some churches that I know of, there's division because politics can get involved. I say all that to say this, we're a nation divided, more so than I would like to, to see. But it doesn't catch God by surprise. God's been there before, and God knows what it's like to have people in power that are not men and women after his own heart. I mean, Jeroboam and Abijah, those two kings of the northern and southern kingdom, uh, they weren't the, the cream of the crop, if you will. So this wasn't new territory for God, but it reminds us that a nation's hope shouldn't be in a man or a woman who's in leadership, but our ma a nation's hope and an individual's hope should be in the Lord and in his son, Jesus. So the bottom line of this message, if there is one thing I would want you to take away is that all of our hope is in Jesus. Diane, that's a great song. All our hope is in Jesus. I'm not going to sing it for you today because I have a much grace and love for you. But that's, that's the bottom line of this message. All of our hope should not be in a, a particular political party or in, in a particular political candidate, but all of our hope should be in Jesus. Well, let me give you seven principles, and we're going to just kind of go through these, and, uh, and I, I really do hope they'll cause you, if anything, to ponder some of the statements that I'm going to share with you today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a particular principle then after that principle, I'm going to give you a Bible verse as well. So, and if I, go hap if I happen to go fast through the slides, um, that's fine. You, I think you'll be able to catch up because I'm going to be repeating these slides a, a little bit as the rest of the message goes on. So here, here's, here's the first principle. When it comes to being a Christian citizen, which is what we are, don't lose sight of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And he's even sovereign when it comes to the affairs of this land that we love. You know, America, we serve a sovereign, sovereign God. And the Bible says over in Psalms 103, verse 19, these particular words, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So, so let me just promise you this. God isn't running around heaven saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with America today? That's not our Lord. He's a sovereign Lord. He knows exactly what's going on. And so he's not concerned about what's going on here in America, but he knows what's going on here in America. But he does have an agenda, and he is working that agenda through. He's working for the culmination of history, and I believe it could be in my lifetime. Uh, he's working toward the return of Jesus, and there again, it could be in my lifetime. It could be in your lifetime. He's working. Y'all believe that? He's working and our God is in control and he has ultimate power to raise up kingdoms and to destroy kingdoms. He can make some, some particular person or people succeed and he can make others not succeed. He is a sovereign, sovereign 
God. If, all right, so let, let me just move on because not only is he sovereign, uh, another principle I think you need to understand when it comes to your Christian responsibility and Christian civic duty is don't neglect the opportunity to vote. I've already voted. It was easy as all get out. Man, it was easy. It took me maybe 15 minutes at that, but don't neglect your opportunity to vote. Now, some people believe because of that little first bullet there, because of that first principle that God is sovereign, some people have in their mind and they have a mindset, well, I don't need to get, I don't need to take time out of my, my day and I might even have a day off work. I don't need to take this opportunity to go waste my time and go vote because God is sovereign. Somebody might have the attitude or the opinion that, well, our system is so messed up, I'm just going to put it all in God's hands. He's a sovereign God. Can I tell you something? God's put it in your hands. God is sovereign, but he wants us to join with him. So yeah, he's a sovereign God, and I'm thankful he's a sovereign God. He's the God of grace and love and forgiveness, but he wants us to join him on so many different areas, in so, in so many different areas, and this is one of them. I mean, think of it this way. God has sovereignly placed each and every one of us here in this country. He's allowed each, in his sovereignty, he's allowed each and every one of us to be born in the greatest country on earth, the United States. And because he's put us here, he's put you here so that you might be able to make, have your voice be heard through the election box. And I think the Bible commands that we be involved. I even think Jesus commands it. He's like, you do? Yeah, I do. Because we read these words over in Matthew 22. Then Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are what, church? God's. Yeah, thank y'all for it. I like it when y'all participate with me. Y'all are catching on to my cues there. Yeah, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and render to God the things that are God's. So that's what Jesus is basically saying. Now, he's talking about the government here. They're trying to trick him up, uh, people that were coming against him. But it has implications, what Jesus said here to voting as well. To give government what belongs to the government means you owe your country your vote. You owe it to your country as a Christian citizen to vote. It's a responsibility that I have. It's a responsibility that you have. We're to render what is Caesar's. And what we need to do on Tuesday is, if we haven't already, is to vote. If you happen to have the mindset that God is sovereign and I don't need to vote, it would be like you saying, well, I believe that God is sovereign. And even though God's blessed me with a family and four kiddos, I don't think I'm going to work for the rest of the year. No, if God has given you a family, your job is to support that family, right? That's your responsibility. In like manner, your responsibility is, is to vote. Hey, by the way, this is, y'all, y'all just look kind of doom and gloom right now. Is it the message? Great time of day. So let me tell you what I'm preaching about next week. We're going to start a Thanksgiving message, a Thanksgiving series next Sunday on Thanksgiving. It's going to be a fun message, all right? Y'all smiling? All right, let's get back to the message today. <laughs> so uh, anyway, here's, here's principle number three. Seek God's wisdom for your decision, all right? Seek God's wisdom for your, for your decision. You know, when Solomon became king, uh, he, he was pretty young. And, and as a young man that was king, he didn't really know what to do. So what do you think he did? He did the smartest thing anybody could do. He went to the Lord and he said, Lord, I, I need you to give me some wisdom. And we read about this over in second Chronicles chapter one, verse 10, give me now wisdom. And he's, he's just crying out to God and give me wisdom. Give me knowledge to go out and to come in before this people for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. I love how Solomon thinks. I like how some of the biblical writers come across to me whenever I read the words of Scripture. 
And it was almost as if Solomon was just having a conversation with the Lord the way I'm having a conversation with you today. And he's like, Lord, I, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. I'm king now, but do y'all know about these people over here? Lord, you know about them? How am I supposed to handle them? By the way, no offense to you guys. How am I supposed to handle them? Y'all know what I mean? So Solomon's like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I need some wisdom. Help me to make decisions, Lord, that is godly. Well, part of your vote is part of our, or your vote rather, is part of our governing process. And, and like Solomon, I would ask you, have you spent time asking God for wisdom? Lord, I need your wisdom for who I'm voting for from the top of the ballot all the way to the bottom. And on all the different issues that I might be voting for, Lord, give me your wisdom. Do y'all know in the last election, and I heard this from David Jeremiah, which is a pastor that I love to listen to. He's my pastor. He's my preacher. Uh, Yes, if I ever listen to guys um, pretty regularly, it's him. And he doesn't know me from Adam, but, but he really does speak into my life. But he said in the last election, over 25 million evangelicals didn't vote. That's us evangelical Christians did not vote in the last election. And he went on to say, and you say, you got this verbatim? Verbatim. I put his message on, like I was keeping hitting the pause button, making sure I got this right. But he said, not only did 25 million Americans did not vote in the last election, he goes on to say this, we're stewards of our nation. So we need to vote. Because if we don't vote, what's going to happen is that people that have ideologies and values contrary to what we believe will soon take the place of people that have values and ideologies like we believe. And before you know it, there goes America. I paraphrase what he said, but I could read it to you verbatim if you want, but, but I'm not going to do that. So like Solomon, we need to be asking for the wisdom of God. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives what? Generously. And God gives his wisdom generously to all without reproach. He doesn't just say, I'm going to give it to David and not to Rod here. He's going to give it to, to all of us. So we need to ask him. And then number four, if you're keeping count, this is principle number four, vote based on policies and not on personalities. There's a lot of people that in every election year vote for the wrong or they're asking the wrong question. The question they ask is, who should I vote for? When what they should be asking is, how should I vote? Not who should I vote for, but how should I vote? And we read these words over in one of my favorite books in God's word, and that's the book of Acts. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And that verse has a lot to say, especially when it comes to obeying the principles of God. And what that verse says to me and what I think it should say to you is that it is more important for our allegiance to lie with with Jesus, with our heavenly father, than it is with any institution or any leader that man happens to raise up. Our nation is greater than anyone ever, ever elected to office. Our ultimate allegiance though needs to be to the Lord. So we need to look past the names on the ballot and ask the question, what issue matters most to God? Y'all with me? Say amen if you are. All right, just glad to know you're, you're there with me still. All right, here, here's number five. Stand for the sanctity of human life, biblical marriage, and religious liberty. And if you're thinking about all these principles that I'm going to be sharing with you today, there's seven of them. This is number five. As a Christian citizen, I think this one's the most important. As a Christian citizen, I think this is most important. So let me just briefly talk about each one of those three little things you see there. Stand for the sanctity of human life. The Bible is clear, I believe, and I think God's word is just crystal clear here. God stands for the sanctity of human life. 
I'm glad a few of y'all said amen to that. We need Trey in here because Trey can really get y'all to say amen. If I bounce around a little bit more, can I be like Trey and y'all say amen a little bit more? God stands for the sanctity of human life. Amen. Yeah. Hey, praise the Lord for that. And I think the Bible's clear. I think the Bible's clear. Life begins at conception. We read over in in Isaiah. Isaiah's given this testimony. This is his testimony, the prophet of God. He says, the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he, he named my name. And then over in Psalms, we read this in Psalms 119 or 139, rather, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. This is David. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Still today, too many children, too many precious babies are killed each year. And still today, every election year, you hear politicians and you hear political parties making statements, well, we're going to restrict abortions, we're going to end abortions, and it's just, it's just talk. And no action is ever backed up. Uh, if, if you're asking me as a friend and as your pastor, as followers of Jesus, I think we need to vote for the rights of the most innocent, babies. And of all the issues that impact, impact a presidential election, to me, that's the most significant. So stand and vote for the sanctity of human life. And then secondly, um, not only I don't think can the Bible be clearer on that, I think the Bible's pretty clear when it comes to, um, to biblical marriage as well. I think the Bible is clear there. Um, marriage is the first institution that God created. And as the first institution that God created, who is man to think they can redefine it? You know, marriage is, is between a man and a woman. That's biblical marriage. And God ordained it in the garden. God still blesses it today. We're both created in the image of God. And as a man and a woman, we're to complement each other. Um, I'm going to be marrying a couple that I was his pastor for years. I've gotten to know Chandler and Rachel pretty good. We're going through biblical counseling, premarital counseling rather, and one of the things I got to talk about the last time we met, and we met on a Sunday afternoon right before our deacons meeting, Bill, I was trucking it to get up here because I took a little time talking with them, was how they complement each other. We did a personality test. They both have different strengths and weaknesses. Guess what? God puts them together. They're, they're going to complement each other. And that's the beauty of, of biblical marriage. It's not up to man to try to redefine marriage because God's already said this is what marriage is. And then, then God's word, I think, is crystal clear when it comes to religious liberty. That means that the government, when it comes to religious liberty, ought to leave us alone so that we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and live at our faith in the country that God has placed us in. There's a couple of verses, or one verse, a couple of slides here, because this verse is pretty lengthy, and the verses from 1 Timothy chapter 2. These are the first two verses of 1 Timothy 2. The Bible says, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, you know, leading this quiet life. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the reason Paul tells believers to pray for those in authority is so that we might live a peaceful and quiet life. And we need leaders that are elected, and we can elect some this coming Tuesday that will protect our religious liberty as Christians and won't allow any restrictions whatsoever when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ.
So that's number what? Four? Y'all with me? Five? Who am I? I'm, I'm wrong then. All right. I'm just the preacher. <laughs> well, let me give you another one here. And that's to pray, pray, and pray. All right. So when you go to vote, before you vote as a Christian uh, citizen, pray, pray, and then pray some more. That should be one of the first responses we have as a follower of Jesus, that I'm going to get on my knees, I'm going to get in my prayer closet or wherever that is where you have your quiet time and you're going to pray and seek God's will and his way. We all know this verse. I don't have it on the screen. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will seek my face and, and will repent of their sin, then I will hear from heaven and I will answer and I'll heal, heal their land. Uh, that's a promise that's precious. And it was given to Israel, yeah, but it has implications for God's people today. And, and, and then, as well as now, the key to God's blessing us as a nation, or any nation for that matter, is prayer. You know, he wants us to do more than just say amen when a preacher or a Sunday school teacher leads us in prayer. You know, God wants us to do, to do more than just say, hey, we're a people of prayer. God wants us to get this. Pray. <laughs> And prayer isn't not, prayer is not powerful when we don't pray, but man, prayer, when we pray, can move the hands of God. There's power in prayer. I heard about a pastor who was um, up in age, and because he was up in age, things didn't work the way they used to. One of the things that didn't work the way they used to was, was his eyesight. And some of us can attest, right? The older we get, it seems like the worse our eyesight's getting. And that was him, but man, God had just blessed his ministry. And he was doing a revival one day for a pastor right out of seminary. This guy was green as green can be. Hey, thank the Lord for churches that will call people right out of seminary and they are green as green can be. I thank the Lord for the first church I serve in Saluda, South Carolina that called a very green young man. And now I'm a little bit older. But anyway, going back to the story, an older pastor whose eyesight was diminishing so, um, so one day he was staying at this younger pastor's home with his wife and the younger pastor noticed, well, he seems to be mumbling. I wonder if he's talking to me, you know, he's just mumbling. You can see how when people mumble, you're wondering, well, who are they talking to? Or are they just, you know, what are the, what's wrong with them? So he says, Hey pastor, are you, you all right? Uh, are you saying something to me? He goes, Oh no, I'm praying about what I'm going to wear this morning. He's almost blind. All right. And then they go out for lunch one day after um, one of the, I guess, one of the messages, maybe after Sunday's sermon, the way some of y'all are going to go out for lunch in a few minutes. Uh, that's what this pastor did. And, and so, so the younger pastor takes this older, more esteemed pastor out for lunch one day, and, and they got the menu open. He's almost blind. I have no idea what he, what he can read, but he's mumbling again. And he says, uh, Pastor, are, are you talking to me? Are you trying to get the waitress's attention? No, I'm praying about what I'm going to order. I don't know if I've ever prayed for what I was going to order, but there's, there's some restaurants I've been to. I probably should have done that. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, the, and the story just keeps on going. And finally, this younger pastor said, hey, pastor, um, um, give me some advice here. You've been at this much longer than I have. If there's anything you can tell me so that my ministry can emulate yours and my ministry might be success and blessed by God, what is it? And without taking a breath, pray. Pray over anything, pray over everything. I'm not telling you how you should pray, but I will tell you this. When it comes to the election, we need to be praying for this election. And you notice in that epistle we gave you this morning called a bulletin, which is really thick and big uh, this Sunday. 
Uh, you got some ways you can pray, not only for the upcoming election, but even how you can pray after the election. What should you pray for? Pray for the leaders that's been elected, whether you agree with them or not. You know, pray for them. Uh, pray for those seeking to run for office. Pray for those that are going to be making decisions and that those decisions that they will make will be decisions that will honor God, not only with the decisions that are made, but that would honor even God's people. And then pray that they will make decisions that will honor the Lord and those that will follow Jesus and those that are following Jesus. I would encourage you between now and the election to pray if you haven't prayed already. And then last but not least, not only should you pray, pray, and pray, but remember that Jesus is our ultimate hope. And not only as you should remember that Jesus is our ultimate hope, think of this verse here, Psalm, Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his heritage. And, you know, God has um, forever settled the issue. And the issue that God has settled some time ago is a nation is blessed when God is the Lord. I want to close with this illustration. I think it's, um, I love history. I'm a, a student of history. Whether I'm a good student of it or not is up for debate, but I do love history. And, and so, so this, this, let me just take you back. It was um, March of 1775, just a few years ago, right? March of 1775. His name was Reverend William Emerson. And if you don't know him, you probably know his um, grandson. His grandson was poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. So Ralph Waldo's granddaddy was an American patriot. Reverend William Emerson was 32 years old. He was a pastor of a church in Concord, Massachusetts. And for a long time, he really wasn't focused on things going on in his community. His MO, the things that was on his plate every single day. What he wanted to do more than anything was to make sure that when people gathered in the church he led and the people he shepherded was that he could get up in front of them on Sunday mornings and said, thus saith the Lord. He always wanted to make sure he had a scripture for the people that God was going to be bringing into the church house that day. But then something changed in March of that year. And what changed is basically this. He learned that British spies um, had infiltrated his town and they had informed that there was a British general whose name was um, Thomas Gage, and Thomas Gage was been, had been told that there's a group of American patriots called the Sons of Liberty. And you've got to watch out for these Sons of Liberty. Many people believe that Gage was planning an attack, and they feared for their lives. So on March the 13th, Pastor Emerson stood before his church, and some of them were the Minutemen, you know, the militia. And he preached a sermon to the people of his town. And he wrestled with this question, what is God's word for the people of God today? And as he climbed the steps to his pulpit, he took them to the verse I read to you a few minutes ago, our text for today. Behold, God is with us at our head and his priests with battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. And that was a very serious message, just kind of like this one's kind of more been serious in tone. He said, many of you are going to be called upon to sacrifice, and you'll make the ultimate sacrifice. You'll make the sacrifice of your lives. And as he preached, he reminded them that real readiness depended not upon their skill, that real readiness did not depend upon their weaponry, but on their moral and spiritual resolve. He said the road's going to be difficult. It's going to be successful, though, or you can be successful if you hope in God's power and in his power alone. Otherwise, you will not succeed. 
And then, as you know, your American history, a month later, April the 18th, 1775, 800 British troops marched on Concord to destroy the supplies of the Patriots. And they were warned by a guy named Paul Revere. And he rushed to defend the town. And and one of the first to get there was the preacher, Reverend Emerson. And a shot was fired. Who fired it first? Well, we don't know. That's still up for debate. But that was a shot heard around the what? Heard around the world, yeah. And in the moments that followed, three Americans and 12 British troops either lost their lives or were severely wounded or killed. And the war for independence began. American patriots fought courageously throughout that war. And the truth of God's word then still stands true today. And that is that our hope can only be in the Lord. So I want to remind you, in the middle of this mess that we call 2020, y'all ready for this year to be over? Me too. In the middle of this mess we call 2020, in, in a very taxing, taxing year. So much unrest going on. I would remind you this, some trust in God and some will fight against God. And God will protect and prosper those who trust in him the same way he did the people of Judah. So, so let's, let's do this. Don't lose sight of God's sovereignty. Don't neglect on Tuesday the opportunity to vote. Seek God's wisdom for how you're going to be voting. Vote based on policies, not on personalities. Stand for the sanctity of, of, of life and biblical marriage and religious liberty. Pray, pray, and pray some more, right? And then remember that Jesus is our ultimate hope. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Father, as we pray this morning, thank you for placing us in a nation like the United States. Lord, I thank you for our history. I thank you for our heritage. And Lord, even though there are things in in our nation's history we're not proud of, we're still a nation that you have blessed. And one of the reasons I think you have blessed it is because you have people like us, evangelicals. And Lord, we're far from perfect, but we serve a perfect God. So Lord, we pray that you will be sovereign over this election. Help us to be prayed up, Lord, not only for the leaders that are serving our country now, but for the leaders that will be elected that will serve us for the next foreseeable future. Lord, thank you that you've got plans for our nation. And Lord, I just pray that there'll be a day in our nation's history when we will once again turn to you and place our faith in you. I pray for a day in our nation when there'll be another spiritual awakening in our land, the likes of which maybe we've never seen before. You placed us here at this particular time for such a time as this. So Lord, as we pray, whether we live or die, win or lose, we place our hopes, all of our hopes in you and in you alone. For we pray in the precious name of Jesus' prayer, amen. Hey, I want to remind you as we stand and sing uh, our closing song, this may not be one of those messages you expected to hear today, but hey, it's a message I felt like as your pastor you needed to hear. But I'm going to be down front to receive you, and maybe I'll just encourage you, hey, have you prayed for our nation lately? If you haven't, while we stand and sing this song, come to this altar, make an altar where you are, and just cry out to God on behalf of, of your nation where you live. Pray for this election. Pray for peace. Pray for unity. And then maybe you've been coming for a while and maybe you've heard me preach for four Sundays and then you hear this Sunday and you're thinking, gosh, this wasn't like the others. Yeah, I know. I know, but it was still a message that as a pastor you needed to hear. I needed to give to you. This is a great church to be a part of. And if you're maybe been coming for a while, I'd love to talk to you about how you can be a member of this church. But um, let's just give this time to God. And let me just go ahead and ask you to stand to your, your feet. Let's sing this closing song. And if God's spoken to you and if you need to respond publicly, I'm down front to receive you.